Welcome to the Oak Tree Institute podcast, the podcast designed to empower Muslim leaders through education and skill development. Amr has a workshop called Harmony, a model on leading high-performing teams that we train nonprofit organizations on. And it focuses on how to build chemistry and have a great dynamic relationship within the confines of a team so that they can excel in their performance. In this episode, we go through some of the most important parts of what makes a team high performing. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Omar. Wa alaikum It's finally a pleasure to get you onto this podcast, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good, alhamdulillah. How's it going? Well, I am doing very well, alhamdulillah. Um, so we wanted to kind of dive right into, uh, really, this is your main workshop for Oak Tree Institute, which is around the concept. It's a, it's a model on how high-performing teams can function within within nonprofit organizations, within our community. Um, so I guess the, the first place I, I wanted to kind of start today was to ask you, um, so why is the health of teams important in, in organizations in our community, particularly in nonprofit organizations? So it's a good question to start out with. And... I will answer it by giving you the most cliche possible answer, which is that the sum of the parts uh, or the sum of the whole is more than the sum of the individual parts. Uh, Meaning essentially, and I know everyone's heard this a million times, but when there is a team collaborating, it can accomplish much more than any one individual. And with any type of a nonprofit, particularly with our Muslim community nonprofits, there has, I mean, one person can't do everything. Um, Even though sometimes it feels like there's only a handful of people doing things, but for an organization to succeed and to have any type of sustainability, uh, and when I say sustainability, I mean, at the very least, be able to outlive its individual founder, then there has to be at least some above average level of teamwork and collaboration for the work to continue. Mm, and, and, and it's interesting that I, I feel like a lot of times our organizations don't understand the importance. I mean, I think we always talk about leadership like it's it's one person, uh, but they don't understand the concept of, of teamwork and, and that importance, right? So it's not just, it's not that just there's a leader, like you mentioned, that one person that brings an organization to existence or he's the he or she is the driving force, but no, also it, they have to understand how to, to work with others, of course, correct? Exactly. And what you what you touched on, in my mind, I think this is actually like the biggest, how do you term it? Like this is the, the false belief that holds most people back is everyone is waiting for Superman, whether that's mm-hmm. Superman as your Mashid Imam or like Superman as the volunteer or Superman as the executive director. Like everyone's waiting for this amazing, dynamic, awesome leader of an individual to come in and essentially save the day, like quite literally. Mm -hmm. When in reality, what you need, and look, and and, and trust me, I'm all about promoting leadership and people developing the skill of leadership. But the reality on the ground is that for an organization to succeed, your leader simply needs to be good enough. They don't have to be great. They have to be good enough. And as long as there's a strong team around them, they'll outperform the Superman model like the vast majority of the time. Uh, absolutely. And I definitely agree. And I think a lot of times, too, 
I think you mentioned in terms of the Superman, it's interesting that we always say the word uh, man as well. But, um, you, you know, when it comes to, I mean, true leadership is working through others and, and understanding how to build and mobilize and, and manage and, and work through a team as well, right? So really, that's, the, that's the, one of the most important skills anyway for leaders, correct? Right, absolutely. Okay, cool. All right, so, so I guess from here, and I know your your workshop kind of is really extensive, covering many different areas of of what makes team chemistry strong and how they can perform together. And, and there's so many things here, but I guess one of the things you highlight in the workshop is the importance of trust and how that's one of the most important factors in team chemistry. So, why would you say trust is the most important factor or one of the most important factors? So I think in a nonprofit setting, particularly, trust is the one ingredient that once it disappears, the work, uh, the work will crumble. Mm-hmm. Mm. So let, let's let's backtrack for a second. Let's take a corporate environment. So in a corporate environment, everyone, let's say you have a team of people tasked with a with a particular project, a software implementation. Okay. So within the team working on the software implementation, there may be a breakdown of trust. But at the end of the day, like everyone still has to get their paycheck and stay employed. And so even if I don't trust uh, my teammate to do the best possible job, I'm still at the very least, even if it's a toxic environment, I'll still perform to a minimum level to like at least keep my job and do my part, so to speak. Right. In a in a nonprofit setting as soon as the element of trust disappears, I really have no motivation to do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I don't trust that uh, the person that I'm collaborating with is acting with the right intention or acting, or that maybe they have an ulterior motive mm-hmm. or some other agenda, or or maybe they've done something in the past to indicate that, uh, you know, there's something else at stake for them, then there's really no incentive for me to keep working with them. Um, and so as soon as trust, like as soon as trust breaks down and the, and the other thing with trust is it's the hardest one to, to recover, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if someone makes a mistake and they drop the ball on something, but you still trust them in the sense you're like, okay, you made a mistake. You can still very easily recover mm-hmm. from it. But if someone makes a mistake that you don't trust, you have no incentive to help them or to rectify the situation. And then the work, again, it just, it'll fall apart. Yeah. I think you hit it right on the head. So how is trust broken? I know you referred to that a couple of times. So how, how, what are the, what are those things? Can you specify a little bit more about how, how you feel that trust is broken within teams or organizations? Yeah. So let's, I mean, let's like, Instead of talking theoretical, let's talk mm-hmm. tangible, right? So, um, let's take a let's take the mushroom example because I know that's the one that everyone likes to pick mm-hmm. on all the time. So, if someone is on the board or in a leadership role in a mushroom, the the purpose, so to speak, of the mushroom is to serve mm-hmm. the community, mm-hmm. right? But if an individual starts acting in the best interest of their personal needs then it's going to create a breakdown of trust with other actors in the organization, right? So if, if let's say on a board, you have a, a board, let's say is pushing for, Hey, we need to establish um, an Islamic school. Let's just use that as an example, because 
our public school system is not that good. The parents are de- the parents in our community are demanding it. We need to establish a an Islamic school. And maybe the president of the masjid is thinking, well, I don't really care about Islamic schools, but I want to make my kid a hafiz. So instead, I'm going to use the masjid resources to open mm-hmm. a hif school, mm-hmm. right? So now, in theory, the masjid opening a hif school is a great idea. It's no one would ever disagree with that. But in the context of that team and that environment that's going to cause a breakdown of trust between the board and that president. And so now, whenever the president has another initiative to push forward, even if it's something that might end up being beneficial for the community, the board is not going to support that president anymore. Um, By the same token, there's so many other examples that we see, and I'm sure you've seen like a number of these is, and this happens a lot because sometimes our teams are small or our organizations are bootstrapping it, but someone comes into a situation with a conflict of interest and they don't disclose Mm -hmm. it. That can cause a huge breakdown in trust when people find out that, hey, there was a conflict of interest, it wasn't disclosed. So even if the person has not, maybe they haven't done anything nefarious, maybe they haven't voted in a way that's negatively impacted the community or something like that, but just people finding out that, hey, you had a conflict of interest, that can create problems. I'll give you a really Mm -hmm. good example of one is someone being on a masjid board at one masjid and being on the board of some type of like a youth organization that's completely independent Mm. of that community. And then when the masjid is voting like, hey, should we hire a youth director? There's a conflict of interest for that person because they might be tempted to say no because they want to quote unquote drive the market toward the other organization Mm. that he's Mm -hmm. a part of. Right. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things like that that creep up. Um, and those are sometimes more individual, but that's a huge factor in the breakdown of team, like even just beyond ulterior motives and things like that. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I think having full, um, I guess, uh, vulnerability or, or disclosing certain things, I think it's really important, um, you know, in, in, particularly when you take on a, a position within a community, I, I think it's really important that people know that, Hey, I'm, I'm being up forward. I'm being honest with you. I, and I think that's what you're referring to, right? That these things should be disclosed in a that's, sense or in a way, or. They should, but let me, let me give you like another example too, right? So let's say that, uh, let's say that myself and we'll make up a random brother mm-hmm. Abdullah. Okay. Are collaborating on a project and abdullah and i have no prior relationship mm-hmm. okay uh however i'm friends with ahmed and ahmed and abdullah have had a falling out before so i know that there's some bad blood even though i have no issue with abdullah but i know that he has bad blood with one of my friends so now anytime abdullah brings forth an idea or maybe shoots down an idea that could be related to something like you can always start reading into intentions because of like personal right, history. Course, Does that make course, sense? Right. So there's, so it's not even, so like you said, disclosing, disclosing things is part of it, but there's, and that, and by the way, I don't want to, I don't want to devalue that. Like you have to right. disclose that's a bare minimum. And a lot of right. people overlook that step. And that's, that's like an easy way to have trust as, as long as you disclose it, that goes a long way. But then at a deeper level beyond that, there's things like personal histories and interpersonal relationships that can 
that aren't as easily disclosed, but still plain element right, and undermining right. trust. I, and, and I think this, this is going to tie into a little bit then, I guess, the next question, which is, so how would you rebuild this trust or how would you build trust in the first place? Maybe let's just continue on this example of, so how would you rebuild trust if you feel like, um, you know, there's a history or people are feeling some type of way about who this person is or where they're coming from? How would you rebuild that trust with that individual? Oh, that's a good question. So I would would I'll start by saying what it's not. Rebuilding trust is mm. not an event, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, right? It's not an action. Uh, there's no, there's not going to be a checkbox like trust rebuilt check. Um, it's going to always be an ongoing process, and what that process looks like is there's multiple levels to it. So one is. You know, there's there's this common phrase that we hear all the time that it's it's not business. It, yeah, I mean, it's not yeah. personal. It's business. And when it comes to when it comes to like the the Muslim community or community work, we often mm-hmm. adopt the same mentality that oh, this is just you know this is just our thou work it has nothing to do with our personal relationship. And it's like no, yeah. they're all intertwined. Mm-hmm. You can't really separate them, right? And so. I think one is you have to acknowledge that. And then two, you have to just literally build Mm -hmm. the personal relationship. And so that doesn't mean that you have to be best buds and that you have to go out to dinner once a week and all of that. But you do, to some extent, need to get to know your team at least Mm -hmm. at somewhat Mm -hmm. of a personal level. You know, I I remember collaborating on something, and this was some years ago, and it was a group of like, seven or eight people and it was a mix of brothers and sisters and one of the sisters mentioned she's like look you know we all we're exchanging like 100 emails a day on this thing and we're getting to know each other but we don't really know each other like i want to know like you know we should meet each other's families we should get to know like who are your kids who's your wife who's you know like those kind of things like yeah you don't have to meet regularly but you need to at least get to know each other at a little bit more of a personal level and the reason that that is important is, and look, and it's very simple, right? If, so Rami, if, if you if, think of someone that you've been good friends with for mm-hmm. like 20 plus years, right? If, if I come up to you now and I say, oh, hey, Rami, that dude, he's bad news. He did this, he did that, blah, 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 blah. You're not going to take that statement at face value, are you? you're going to say like, wait, I know this guy. He's not like that, right? You're going to give your friend that you've known for 20 years, the benefit of the doubt. And you're not going to let something undo that without really putting some due diligence into investigating that claim. Right. But if it's someone that you don't know that you're, you, if you come up to me and say, okay, so uh, we've known each other for, let's say a couple of years. Right. And now you come up to me and say, hey, Omar, I just met this guy, Ahmed, who wants to collaborate with me on a project. And I say, no, that dude's bad news. You probably would take that at face value. Right. And you just be like, "Okay, fine. I'm not working with him. And so personal relationships are important in building trust because it only takes a small statement to like undo the trust or a small event to undo the trust. And the stronger the relationships are, the more that you're able to give each other the benefit of the doubt when issues arise. And that's and that's what the crux of it comes down to is the trust manifests mm-hmm. itself when people disagree. And so in terms of how you build trust, you know, it's easy to trust each other when things are easy. 
It's how are you building trust when things are difficult? So when you're rolling out a project and people disagree, how are they disagreeing with each other? Am I am I saying, oh, Ahmed, that idea is mm-hmm. stupid. You're an idiot for thinking of it. Right. Well, then, yeah, the trust is going to break down. But if I say, okay, that's an interesting idea. Here's some challenges that I have in coming to the same understanding as you. Have we considered X? Have we considered Y? Have we considered Z? Have we looked at this other option? I'm not understanding what, why do you think that this idea is a good one? Like maybe let's look at the merits of it and we can still disagree and still maintain our trust. But Mm. once things get personal or I say, oh, Ram, you're only suggesting this idea because then you can give the contract to your cousin and he's going to make money out of it. Right, then the right. trust disappears. That's a, that, those are great points. Very, very good points. And and I guess so. I I guess maybe just to so to summarize, let, let's just say an example. I because I, I I think we were talking about how to resolve it if it was broken or if there was some some cracks to the trust between a team. But how would you uh, kind of initiate building this then if you're like. I don't know, you're a new board or you're a new leader, you're a new youth director or MSA president. Um, how would you, what, what would be like uh, mm. maybe the top three things you would do to, to start building trust if you're, if, you're, if you're initiating a new relationship? So I think one is you have to have an overarching, I don't like saying the term mission or vision, right? Because those mm-hmm. have become like almost meaningless now. But there needs to be an overarching principle of some sort that everyone is in agreement on and mm. that is mm. that can't be compromised, right? So if you're in MSA, for example, maybe it's something as simplistic as our work is going to best serve the needs mm. of the Muslim students on campus, right? I, and, I, and I get it. That might be super simple. But the reason that that is important to even like say out loud and maybe email to everyone or whatever mm. is just that it gives a grounding point that when we disagree on something, we have something to refer back to and say, are we aligned with this or are we not aligned with it? And if we're not aligned with it, then we should all be in agreement that we need to move on from this thing. Right. And so the trust begins with just having everyone aligned at least around a common goal or a common, mm-hmm. common principle. That's the first step. Second step is, like I mentioned, is getting to know one another. So, yeah, you're going to have your regular meetings and board meetings and volunteer meetings and committee meetings and all that good stuff. But there should be something worked in for people to know each other outside of the capacity of that work, whether it's a coffee meetup or whether it's just, you know, dinner at someone's house, like a casual setting, just something of that Mm -hmm. sort, just to let people get to know each other. Those really would be the two things. And then you can almost say like a third might be is just establishing. And this might be something that comes later. I don't know that this is a beginning step, but it's just establishing like ground rules okay. for how we communicate and how we do things. I think I think a good example might be just saying like, OK, agreeing mm-hmm. on what's our communication method is like a simple thing that, hey, when we have conversations about this right. thing, it needs to go on our Slack channel. Right. Uh, just little things like that that people adhere to increases trust. And that might not sound like a lot, but when you look at the opposite scenario, it becomes that much more significant. Because if we, for example, agree that, okay, all communication Mm -hmm. for our MSA is going to happen on Slack, 
let's say you're a board of like five people. So the discussion should all be there. Then when you get together to meet, there should be no surprises because right. all the discussion has taken place. Everyone's aware of what's happening. But if people, three people break off to the side and make their click, talk amongst one another, and then show up at the meeting and stack the vote and don't give the other two people a chance to talk, then, you know, technically, yes, they'll win the vote. Technically, they'll push through whatever agenda item they had, but the trust is going to disappear because they didn't follow the rules of engagement. Yeah, that that's a great, that's a uh, that's an excellent tip. Uh, I think that that happens a lot and definitely that for sure destroys uh, trust and 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 uh, ruins the chemistry between teams. So I think that's a that last point is a great point. Um, I guess now you know it, it's interesting. I think it's going to bring us to this next part, uh, and and you kind of referred to it before when you mentioned that conflict within a team is a good thing. You I, I you know it's it's kind of paradoxical when you say it that way, but uh, so you you talk about how interpersonal conflicts within a team is a good thing. So why is that? So let's let me backtrack and tell you what people normally jump to before we get to conflict, right? Which is most organizations, most leaders will say that we need to have consensus. And that's the buzzword, that's the goal, mm-hmm. and that sounds really, really nice. Like, oh, we're, we're just, no matter what we do, mm-hmm. we want to make sure that we act with consensus, right? That's what that's what people say. And as soon, And honestly, for me, the moment I hear someone say that, it's a huge mm. red flag that this person is a very weak leader. Uh, because the only reason for saying that we want to act with consensus is because you lack the conviction to hold your ground on anything. Mm. And consensus becomes a way to deflect blame. So instead of an organization actually like taking a stand and moving forward on an initiative, you're actually going to end up standing still because if you can only mm. act on things that have consensus, you're not really going to do much. You're always going to be middling with the status quo somehow or another, because the only thing that right. everyone will agree upon will just be like the really easy things. And so it's a way of deflecting accountability. So we have deflecting criticism and it's a mm-hmm. way really of not doing of not doing much. Now, the reason that conflict is good is because if an organization is acting truly with the intent that we want to best serve our congregation or our community or our audience, whoever that may be then, you know, doing that with the right amana and ihsan, like the trust and responsibility and excellence mm-hmm. that the sunnah tells us to do these to do these things with means that you have to do the work to find the best possible solution for them. And that solution might be unpopular. It might ruffle some feathers. But within a team, the responsibility that the team has is they have to debate and argue and find the best possible solution. So one one group of people say that we need to spend all of our MSA mm-hmm. money on an end of the year dinner banquet. And one group of people says that, no, we need to spend a little bit of money every month mm-hmm. and invite a guest speaker to do a class. And you know what? That's a great argument. And they should fight about it, literally. Because what's going to happen is that in the end, if they're debating the ideas on their merits, whatever they end up doing with that money will end up being what was Mm -hmm, best for mm -hmm. their student body on their campus. Um, And so and the other thing is that if they debate it, right. So let's say, Rami, that you're you're 
you want to have the you want to invite speakers mm-hmm. every month to give education and I want to throw the party at the end of the year. And we're going back and forth. And by the end of it, as long as we've maintained the rules of engagement, we haven't started insulting one another and calling each other stupid and dumb and, you know, all those kinds of things. Uh, by the end of it, the hope is that whatever we decide, we'll both be in agreement. We'll both buy in. Because at the end, I'll know that at least my voice was heard and it was taken into account. So, you 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 know, you might be the president, right? And so you get the final say. What I'm looking for is that you didn't just unilaterally decide that, okay, we're just going to invite people every month. You guys that want to have the dinner, forget about it. It's not your decision. It's my decision. So do whatever you want, right? That destroys trust. It undermines the team, undermines the organization. But if you sit and engage with me and I say, look, here's my 10 different reasons why we should do the dinner. And you sit down with me and you're like, okay, I hear you. I understand. I understand. I get all of that. But even with that, here's the reasons that we can't do it. Or here's the reasons why I'm still not convinced. And I still think that the other idea is better. At the end of it, we will not have consensus. I will still probably not agree with you. But because it was done in a respectful way and my voice was heard, my voice was respected, I'll still at least be able to buy in and go along with it and support it, even if I still feel the other idea was better. So uh, that's that's an amazing point, and I, and I think that that's what well, that what's that's what would make a great team, right? When 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 we're really able to talk about each point, make the strong stances, give our opinions, we bring all the you know what we believe is the best perspective to the table, we vote, and then we just that's it. If I lost the vote or whatever in my business, like moving forward all together, right? That's the idea, right? And look, and if if you want to see like a really good example of this. Go sit in on a Mushed mm. board meeting where they're debating what land to buy for the new Mushed construction. And you can tell the strength of the team by, is the discussion around how is this location? Mm. What is the expected appreciation of this land value? How many of our members live within the X mile radius of this land? You know, if mm-hmm. they're debating mm-hmm. those types of things, then you can see that, okay, they're debating the merits of this. But if they come in and I'm like, hey, we should build it over here. And you're like, no, you should build it over there. And we're like, oh, you just want to build it over there because that's closer to your house. Oh, we just want to build it by that one because that one's closer to your work. Mm. If the if the discussion goes into that type of a debate, then it's a very Got weak so, team so, that can't get on the merits of the idea. And that's going to fall apart. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you, to cut you, you off. See so, these so that's a great point. So, so I guess the, then the question is, so if conflict is a healthy thing. When does it become unhealthy? When, when does it become toxic? And and what should you do about it then? It becomes it becomes unhealthy when people make it personal. So if you come and tell me, hey, Omar, we want to get this land because we did real estate. You know, we're looking at three different properties. And, you know, we did real estate projections on this one. And this one has the most is going to have the most appreciation and because of the zoning this you know xyz other things are going to open up close to it and it's going to be a really good spot mm, for the community mm. and i just look at you and go yeah and it's also closer to your house right mm. then then that has suddenly become unhealthy right when it becomes toxic and this might be a little bit counterintuitive for people is when you walk in and you say uh hey Omar, this is the land that we're looking at. Here's all the reasons that we picked it. And I just go, yeah, okay, whatever. And I don't even engage with you 
because I've just I'm so beyond caring at that point that I just whatever. That's that's a great point. That that's a great point, and I, and I think that that's uh, that. And of course, these things happen a lot. And I appreciate you bringing some real examples. I mean, these are the real uh, problems that our community has. A lot of organizations have. Um, so, so I guess uh, from this point, I you know one of the other questions comes out then. So, if you have a person that's uh, really kind of this way, they're they're a difficult personality, and they might be the leader themselves, or they might be in leadership. Maybe they've been there for a while. So, how would you deal with a, a person that is maybe causing some of the unhealthy conflicts, or making you know maybe they're the ones that are breaking the trust? H- how would you deal with a person like that? What should you do? I guess from two perspectives. The first perspective is you're just a member of the team and then it's, it's coming from the leader. And then I guess this other perspective would be if I am in a leadership position and it's a, it's a, it's a team member. Uh, so I, I want to get kind of both perspectives. How do you deal with difficult personalities? I mean, this is really like, this is the tough one and this is the one that most people deal with. Right. So mm-hmm. sometimes not being in a leadership position puts you in a better role to manage that. Um, the reason being is that if if I'm your leader, right, or if I have, I'm in an authority position over you, when we have a conversation, there's going to be an inherent power dynamic of some sort where, like, mm-hmm. I have a say over your role in this organization. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if we're peers, then that threat is no longer looming because, you know, like, I can't fire you. I can't get rid of you. We're on, we're on an even playing field. So sometimes mm-hmm. you're not a leader, it's easier to approach the conversation. Now, what, what's the conversation that you need to have? That's the million dollar question. Mm-hmm. The conversation that you need to have, when someone is being toxic, you need to find out what exactly is causing it. And mm-hmm. that's much easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Because people will act out in different ways and you need to get to the root of what it is that's that's making it happen whether it's they're upset about something or they're concerned about something or there's something they felt wasn't heard or they feel that they were wronged or, you know, it could be any multitude of things. Mm-hmm. The The problem is, is that when someone becomes toxic, everyone wants to wash their hands of that person and just move on. Right. right? It course. takes a lot of work to just be like, hey, let's sit down and talk. What's up? What, you know okay, I get your, you keep objecting to this, you keep, you know, roadblocking it, whatever, that's fine. But like, why? What are you hoping to get out of? Like, what, why, why is it so important to you to act in this way about this one thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and you really have to uncover what's at the root of what's causing it and then find a way to address it. And that's, and again, this goes back to what I mentioned earlier about personal relationships. And that's why those relationships are important Mm -hmm. because you need to have a relationship with someone in order to be able to get them to open up and talk to you honestly about it. And Mm -hmm. once you're able to finally pinpoint, all right, here's what's causing it, then you can figure out a way to address it. Right. And so Mm -hmm. there's, there's different ways that this might manifest. You might have, you know, you might have a board member, let's say, so let's say I come in and there's this guy that's been on the board for like 20 years, right? And I'm like, okay, we got this awesome guy named Rami. We got to hire him. We got to hire him. We got to hire him. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he starts stonewalling me, 
right? Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, we really got to hire him and this and that. And, you know, we figured out how to do the funding and blah, 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 blah. And we got everything set. We just need you to rubber stamp it. Like, I, you know, I, I, did, I didn't come to you with a problem. I came to you with a solution. Here's mm-hmm. the person we need to hire. Here's why we need to hire them. Here's how we're going to pay them. Here's how we're going to support them. Here's the whole plan on a silver platter. All you have to do is sign the stupid thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that person refuses. And they're just like, no, I don't want to sign it. And what what's going to end up happening most of the time is I'm going to get aggravated. I'm going to get annoyed. And I'm going to say, man, this, this board member, they just don't get it. We brought them this awesome solution. We had everything lined up. All they had to do was rubber stamp it. They kept refusing and refusing and refusing. I give up. This place sucks. This place is horrible. Forget these guys. This guy is toxic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? That's what normally ends up happening. Yeah. Whereas maybe if I had sat down and figured out that, hey, maybe this guy 10 years ago before I was ever ever even a part of this community had gone through like three or four really bad experiences of bringing people in and investing in them. And then maybe that person screwed the community over. Maybe that happened multiple times. And so now this person has a fear of that happening again. And so even though I've solved all the problems that I could foresee, I didn't solve the problem that was actually there because I didn't take the time to actually sit and understand why is this person saying no. Interesting. So, so it's always about understanding the individual, but I, I guess you're you're trying to chip away about what's going on deep under. You the have surface. to chip away, and again, and it's very easy to say that, but it's it's going to take work, right? Yeah. Like people aren't going to just give up whatever's happening in one or two conversations sometimes, yeah. especially if it's like a deeper issue, it really might take some poking and prodding to figure out like what's actually happening. Because, you know, I mean, people aren't just going to act out and be all weird for no reason. Right, right. Of course. Right. You know, we like to think that they are, but like usually there's something happening and we're not seeing it. It's up to us to put in the work to figure it out. Right, right. And, and so I guess, I guess, so then, um, and, and that's, and that's a, a really important um, a tip and advice that really trying to connect with that person and understand what's going on. So I guess the, the usually what happens, though, is that it impacts other people on the team. So this one person you're dealing with, that's giving you a hard time, you're trying to deal with them. Uh, how do you not let that affect everybody else on the team or everybody else on the committee or everybody else that's serving? Um, how do you make sure that they're bought in and not being impacted by that, uh, let's say, that person that's causing some unhealthy tension or conflict? So there's no real rule of thumb, right? So it it's going to take multiple angles of attack. So one is people are going to have to, let's say, first try to mediate the situation and try to fix it, mm-hmm. Right. If that's not going to work, there has to be some self-accountability. And so maybe the self-accountability starts in a way that says, maybe it's you telling me like, hey, Omar, look, I appreciate you putting in this work and sending these emails. But when you keep phrasing things like this and like this and like this, people are taking it the wrong way and they're feeling attacked, even though I know that's not your intention, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe you come to me with that kind of benefit of the doubt conversation. And if I'm well-intentioned, then hopefully that's enough to wake me up. And I'm like, oh, man, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. Let me change up the way that I'm I'm talking to people or emailing people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it could be simple like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe there's like some self-accountability. Sometimes, and this is the part people don't want to hear, sometimes the way that you fix it is that you have to help people leave the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's not a bad thing. 
sometimes it's people aren't always in the right role or the right organization. And so sometimes what the best thing for the person and the organization is for them to move on to something else. Uh, but that does require like strong leadership and strong team to look and make that assessment correctly. Right. Yeah. I, and I absolutely agree with you. I, I think, I think a lot of times people stick around an organization way too long and they're, they're just, they're either not self-aware exactly. enough, right? Like you mentioned, like they don't understand, Hey, I'm, I don't fit here or what my values are, what my vision is. It's, it's not really clicking or, or like you mentioned, like they're not, they're not understanding that I, they could be more productive somewhere else or, uh, and it could be a, for a multitude of reasons, right? Why that needs to happen. But you're right. Sometimes, you know, people, I think we're always, so I guess let me get your take on this. So you do believe in firing people within our nonprofit organizations. You, you do believe that some people do need to let go, be let go. They do, but the, the that's a loaded term yeah. because the way people are fired in most organizations is the wrong right. way. Right. You know, the I, I I think if people want to rule up the easy rule of thumb is when someone gets fired, it should not be a surprise to either party. Mm, okay. You know, like in, you know, if you look at really big corporations, right, they never want an HR lawsuit for unfairly firing someone. So what do they do? They start documenting, mm -hmm. right? They give you a warning. Mm -hmm. Then they write mm -hmm. you up. Then they, they put something on your performance review. Then they put you on a performance plan. And then they do this other thing. And then they do that other thing. And then when you're let go, you're not surprised because you're like, yeah, they've already been like trying to get rid of me for a while by writing me up and giving me warnings and doing this and right. doing that. And so it's almost kind of expected because, and the company does it that way because now if if the employee ever comes back and was like, I'm suing you for you know unfair unfair dismissal of my employment or whatever, they have all the paper, like, actually, we've been giving this guy warnings for like mm -hmm. nine months and his performance didn't improve. We Absolutely. had no choice. Um, what happens in the nonprofit, again, because we don't have those safeguards in place or paychecks or things like that, is that, you know, someone just gets hot head and is like, oh, you're fired. Get out of here. I don't want to work with you anymore. Like, I quit. And because there's no repercussions, people are very quick with that right. trigger finger. Uh, so that's the wrong way of doing it. Um, the right way, again, is have the conversation, try to find out, can we fix this? Is there an accountability mechanism we can put in? Like you try these different things and if it's not working, like it should get to the point where both people realize this is really not working. And so then when someone is maybe quote unquote, let go, it's not a shock. Right. I, and I, I think you hit it on the head. I think, you know, a lot of times our organization, we want to, you know, everything kind of explodes all at once, right? It's just like uh, it all yeah. comes out all at once instead of giving that, as you mentioned, um, you know, that consistent feedback. If that feedback is always being given, those evaluations are always being made, then you're not waiting for the, you know, the day I'm just going to walk in angry and just going to, you know, let all the steam blow out, right? Right. Uh, so excellent points. And I, and I appreciate um, really wonderful insights on the dynamics of a team and, and, and how we should be functioning uh, as best as possible. Again, how, how teams perform at a high level. Um, so I, I guess. In, uh, so the next kind of segment that 
um, you know, tying into everything that we've built up to is it's kind of around decision making. And and really, I, I guess at the end of the day, teams function to make decisions, right? And and usually pretty tough decisions. I mean, everything we've mentioned from trust and conflict and dealing with personalities, it's all around kind of how do we make the best decisions possible for our team, for our organization. So so kind of can you give us a little bit, elaborate a little bit about your formula for how to make the best decisions within a team? Yeah, so in in the workshop we go through the what we call the RAPS framework, which is, and I'll I'll go over it very briefly uh, to explain the points. But it's widen your options, reality test your assumptions, attain distance before deciding, prepare to be wrong, and slatul istikhara. the 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 point of the framework is essentially this, and I don't want to go into detail on the framework. But I think it's it'll be more useful to understand mm-hmm. the principle of it, which is. You have to make the best decision at a given mo- at a given moment in time with the best mm-hmm. of what's available to you, which means that you're not always going to be able to delay the decision. You're not always going to be able to collect more information. And many times you'll mm-hmm. make the wrong decision. Um, so really, it's more about the process in place mm-hmm. for doing that. And... It's so, and with those points I mentioned, were ways of kind of trying to eliminate as much bias and get to some type of objectivity with your decision making. But you know, in general, the the re, the reason that is important with teamwork is this: the point of a team, and especially, and this is and this is something that's a little bit of a different discussion, but it's important, so I want to highlight it is. And especially in the Muslim community, you know, there should be a diversity of voices in the team. And I don't mean that in a token sense, like, you know, we have one sister on the board and we have one convert brother. You know, I don't mean it that way. I mean that there should be there should be diversity in the sense of like you want to be representative of the community that you have, but you also need diversity in in thought. So you do need people that are older and you need people who are younger for example right you do need brothers and you do need sisters you you do need people that uh come from different vocations and different educations and all those types of things because the way that you speed up that process of are we making the best decision with what's available to us is your team the more diverse and strong your team is the more that you eliminate Mm -hmm. blind spots and the more that it keeps you from doing something that might be wrong or destructive without you realizing it because you have a strong team in place that will call those things out when that decision-making process is happening. And this ties in really strongly with what we talked about earlier with the idea of debating the merits of ideas is when part of when you're debating the merits of ideas is that people will come to it with completely different points of view and people will come to the table with, uh different you know different stakes or different motivations and so those things help you see things that you otherwise wouldn't see and it helps you make a better decision and so the stronger your team is the more that you're able to eliminate the blind spots and mitigate some of the bad decision making that happens those are those are excellent points and i I think very valuable uh, for for teams to understand and and really I I guess you know it's it's all around accumulate you're you're trying to make you're trying to make the best decision possible by 
hearing all the perspectives, collecting all the data, gathering all the information, and then truly making a decision, right? I think a lot of teams also have this. Yeah, and and look, and we can super simplify this process, right? Everything you just mentioned yeah. yes. is Shura. Yes. Quite literally. And the next step mm. after Shura is Istikhara. And so this is that formula, mm. like tie your camel and then have to wakul. Tie your camel with Shura and then have right. to work with And actually make a decision, right? I, I don't think you want to have this. Right. And, and actually right. make a decision not, not and actually uh, paralysis go forward with analysis it. kind of thing. You, you have to make a decision and move forward. And, and like you said, it's okay to make mistakes. That's actually how you learn the most as a team or an organization, correct? Exactly. And you can always, you can always course correct. But, you, you know, the, uh, there's a saying in design thinking that you can... Um, you can mm. fail in place, but right, you can't right. discover in place. For sure. Meaning if you're sitting and doing nothing, you can fail. But if you sit and do nothing, you can't discover the solution. Right. Absolutely. That's that's a great saying. That's a wonderful saying. And, and so I guess how would how would a team know? Uh, you know, how would a team know when to get help? Uh, from you know, you know, I, I guess there's always the question of do we have what it takes to make this decision? How, how would you know? if your team is competent enough. I know you mentioned different things like wisdom and age and diversity and, and, and really all of those things are absolutely true when it comes to decision-making and that's why teams need to be diverse. But how do you know when you need help? How would you know, like, hey, this decision really needs somebody that needs uh, consulting or somebody to give us advice. How do you know that? So I think there's some basic rules of Shura that would apply, right? I, I don't want to oversimplify, but honestly, sometimes it just comes down to there should be a bare minimum of talking to someone mm. who's been down mm. the road that you're trying to go down. Don't start from scratch, right? Build, build on where people have been, right? Don't start from scratch. And yeah, and it, it's, I know it's super simple, but you'd be yeah. surprised. You won't be surprised, but I think maybe some of our listeners might be surprised right. how often that doesn't That's happen. All right. I, I mean, uh, all right. So I, I really appreciate the, the time, Ahmed. I mean, this this has been a wonderful discussion. I think around some very very important points that play into uh, team chemistry, things you know that interpersonal connections that can really bolster a team's performance and organization's performance or or hinder it. Is there anything else that you want to mention or talk about? I know we'll we'll have a, a lot more to cover in the future episodes, and definitely your workshop goes over a lot more areas. Is is there anything else that you would advise or give advice to people around team chemistry and team performance that you feel is really valuable? I think just just remember Shura and Istikhara. Like the more you incorporate those into everything that you're doing, the better off your organization will be. And the stronger your team will be. Zaklachet, bro. I, I appreciate uh Zaklachet for, for the time and uh, and the effort and um, really appreciate your wisdom and your advice. And uh, definitely for those uh, that are listening, uh, Brother Amr Osman has a full day workshop around um, high performing teams and how to make you, the teams within your organization have better cohesion, better trust, uh, understanding how to make decisions, how to resolve conflicts and a whole bunch of different areas. We hope uh, that you can bring that to your community or your organization. Uh, for listening and we hope to have you guys listen to our future episodes with Omar and our other instructors thank you for listening to this episode of the Oak Tree Institute podcast 
For more episodes, subscribe and follow us on Apple, Google Play, and Spotify. And for other content that we have, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.